Well, good morning. Um, you know, I just like to follow on what Daniel said about uh, church cleanup day. I love church cleanup. Um, I love the donuts. I love the coffee. I love the fellowship and going around and just talking to everybody and then going home and taking a nap. Uh, when's the next one? <laughs> you know, they, uh, the other day I, 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 I was driving my daughter Ellie uh, to school and I ran over this big pothole, right? Have, have you guys right, run into a lot of potholes lately? Right? I know this, this rain, right? the constant rain is affecting our roads, and, and I hear another storm is coming. And I thought, oh, not again. You see, I drive my daughter, Ellie, to school just about every day, and almost every day, I hit the same potholes. <laughs> every, every day. You know, and after I, after I run over them, Right, I think to myself, I am never going to take this street again, or I'm never going to get in this lane again. And then the next day comes, right? we get in the car, we're usually late. Right? I take a right, and I take a left, and I take a right, and then right? And I think, oh, man. And I think, how frustrating. Right? Isn't it frustrating when you repeat the same mistakes over and over again? Right? And when you fall for the same things. And so it reminds me of when I was in elementary school. Uh, there was this older kid, Kevin. And he lived across the street from uh, the babysitter's house. And so I had friends there. We were all, like, we were all the same age. But this guy, Kevin, was older. Right? He's probably like, I don't know. We were in elementary school. And he was probably like high school or college. And he would play practical jokes on us all the time. Right? And so one time he, he gave us all gumballs, right? And they were like individually wrapped. They're all in plastic, so that it seems safe, <laughs> right? And so he gives us these gumballs, and, and uh, little did we know that he had taken a syringe and he had injected this little hole into the plastic and into the gumball, and he had injected the Listerine mouthwash into the gumball, right? And I was like, what is this? And we would fall for his pranks every time, right? Time and time and again. On a more serious note, you know, we often find ourselves repeating, right? Repeating mistakes, making the same bad decisions, right, that we've made in the past. And it might be a temptation in our lives that we fall to, or we can't, we just can't seem to resist. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship that we go back to, right? We know this person is toxic or this person is not good for us or doesn't do good things for our spirit, and yet we go back. Or we make bad choices when we hang around a certain group, right? And we know it, and yet we still do it. I think in our passage this morning, we'll see the Apostle Paul and we'll see him imploring the believers. He's exhorting them not to repeat the same mistakes they've made before. Because that's what they were doing. Right? And they were like us, or we're like them. And the Lord, the Lord wants better for us. He wants better for his people. 
And I think we'll see that in Scripture this morning. Our passage this morning is Galatians chapter 5. And we're looking at verses 1 through 6. Galatians 5, 1 through 6. And if you're able, I would ask if you would please stand. And, and let's read this passage together. I think we'll have this the Scripture on the screen. And I'd like us to just to read out loud and to read together. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if I, you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you and we come before your word this morning, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and that it would be your voice, your words, your intentions for us, Lord. And that whatever we hear, Lord, that is from you, we would take that and we would plant it deep in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us this morning. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, I, I've, as I've been preparing for this message, I thought, oh, not the same thing again. Right? And I don't know if you've been here with us for this sermon series, but you've got to be tired of hearing this. It's for the umpteenth time that the Apostle Paul is telling the believers in Galatia, they do not, do not need to be circumcised. And they don't need to follow other Jewish customs in order to be saved. So if you get something out of this sermon series and this message, this is one of those things. Okay, and we'll talk about what that means. But, right, Jews... The Gentiles, excuse me, do not need to be circumcised. They do not need to be Jews. Paul is a Jew himself, right? And he's adamant about this. And he repeats himself in chapters, every chapter he repeats himself. And he's, he's like a dog with a bone, right? He's relentless. And he keeps hitting this and hitting this. And the question we have to ask ourselves is why? Right? Why the big fuss? See, Paul knows the implications for, for this, this point, right? The implications are huge. The integrity of the gospel is at stake. You see, this false teaching, right, promulgated by the Judaizers, is basically saying that salvation is dependent on good works. Salvation is dependent on good works. Let me ask you, is that true? No. Right, you got it. No. But a lot of people, a lot of people, even inside the church, are confused about this. 
And so were these people, the believers in Galatia. And they think that our salvation has got to be good work. It has got to be based on good works at some level. Because that's the way the world works. Right? It's actually the way most religions work. If you look at other major religions, that's the way it works. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to pray this much. You've got to give so much. You've got to earn it. Pastor Andy Stanley says the logic goes something like this. There is a good God who lives in a good place reserved for good people. But this is the logic. And the criteria for making it to this good place is to be good. Right? Makes sense. That is that men and women must do certain things and avoid certain things in order to assure themselves a spot in this good place with a good God. So we must be good. That's what this logic is saying. But he says the problem is how good is good? How good is good enough? Where's the line? Right? What's the standard? Who sets the standard? And how does anyone know? How do we know if we're meeting this requirement? See, this logic is faulty. And what Paul does here in this passage, he takes the guesswork out of this. He says that Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. That means there is no line. There is no standard of goodness we must live up to. Right? Do we understand that? Christ has accomplished all that needs to be done to free us from the penalty of sin and to secure our place in heaven. And most of this passage is Paul warning the Galatians of the consequences of trying to earn their salvation and to earn it by good works. Right, this is faulty logic, faulty thinking. And for us in the church, right, we don't want to fall to this. Paul says in verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Right, sounds, sounds redundant, right? Like, Paul wouldn't get a good grade on an English paper if he wrote sentences like that, right? He's repeating himself, it sounds like, but he's emphasizing in the strongest way possible that Jesus, Jesus has set us free. In Luke 4, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. A big part of Jesus' mission is to release us from oppression, to set us free. You know, before Paul came to, the, to Galatia and talked to the Galatians, right, he didn't know, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know him. They worshiped other gods. Right, little g, other gods, pagan gods. They lived a life of idolatry, enslaved to pagan rituals. They needed to appease their gods, make sacrifices. But as they received the good news of the gospel, which they heard from Paul, right, they were released from these bonds. They were unshackled. 
and they found freedom in Christ and a message of grace and forgiveness. If we are in Christ, if you and I are in Christ, we should be growing in freedom from the sins right, and the idols in our lives. This is what sanctification is. It's this ongoing process of becoming more Christ-like right, and being released of these bonds that hold us. But the power of sin, right? We need to talk about this. The power of sin in our lives is great. It's strong, right? It's like this wave. I feel like it's like this wave that keeps coming at us, right? Sin and temptation and things that we do and fall to over and over. Sometimes it feels almost insurmountable, Right? I, I think of it like trying to bat against Shohei Otani. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? What's he talking about? <laughs> right? Right? But if you saw the World Baseball Classic and the end of that championship game, right, Mike Trout, as great as he was, he didn't have a chance. Shohei set him up right, in baseball, if you, if you know pitching. He set him up to a tee. Right? And he had no chance. Sometimes it feels that way for us when sin comes upon us or the temptation is there. Like, where do we go? How do we get through this? Even Paul says in Romans 7, in his struggle with sin, that he doesn't do the good he wants to do and the evil that he doesn't want to do, he keeps on doing. He understands that struggle. Right, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel at times in your life like it's just a cycle? I, I felt it. Um, I felt at times in my life where I felt like I'm just in this vicious cycle of falling to sin, of feeling guilty, of asking God for forgiveness, and then sinning and going back to that sin again. Right? For some of us, it's a battle. It's a battle not to give in to certain things like anger, a battle not to give in to resentment, to pride, to self-pity, right? or not to bow at the altar of sex or of greed or of materialism or of comfort or of apathy. Right? We don't want to do these things. We sit here in church and we go, yeah, those are bad. We don't want to do those things. But we're held captive. For some of us, there may be other things that hold us captive. There may be mental, emotional, psychological pain from things that have happened a long time ago, of which it may be no fault of yours. But there may be things unresolved in our lives that hold on to us, that have a grip on us, hurts from the past that affect our well-being in the present. But Christ's work on the cross, he broke that power. He offers hope for change. As he said, he came to bring freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. That's the word of God. 
He has broken the power of sin and death and those things that oppress us. Working through some of these things that I, I mentioned, right? I paint a, a bleak picture in a way. These things that, that, that grip us and that held, hold us captive. Working through some of these things takes time. Okay, we're not perfect and complete right away. In fact, it's a lifelong process usually. But we have been granted freedom. We have been given freedom by Christ. John 8.36 says, and we sang this this morning, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Beloved, we are no longer slaves to self, slaves to sin, slaves to Satan, slaves to the world, slaves to fear. That's not who we are. But as we, as we read in this passage, at the end of verse 1, the Galatians appear to be in danger of returning to slavery. Not slavery to the pagan gods that they used to worship, but to religious legalism, which says you must be circumcised, you must do this, you must do that. You must follow these customs and traditions in order to be saved. It's like they're trading one master for another. And you see, they're going back to a salvation and standards that are based on good works, not on God's grace. That's why this passage is so important. That's why this argument is so important to Paul. And as I read this passage, I think Paul was not only upset that they were taking a but he was heartbroken. He was heartbroken about their return to slavery. He worshiped with these people. He ministered with these people. They were his friends. I think of them like, they were like the Israelites in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, right, who wanted to forsake God's deliverance. God had freed them. He had liberated them from the Egyptians. And they were on their way to the promised land. God had taken them, right? And Moses had led them. But they were having a hard time, right? Trying to get to the promised land. And they were ready to forsake God's deliverance. They were ready to get rid of Moses. And they wanted to go back to Egypt to be slaves. Because it was too hard. There were too many obstacles. The people had short memories, and they didn't remember just how bad it was under Pharaoh and under Egypt. And I wonder sometimes if we feel that way, like we want to turn back. We forsake coming to church, or we, you know, we don't worship, or we don't participate in discipleship. It's too hard. Right? We want to go back to being slaves to our idols, to our fears, to our temptations. This, the Bible speaks to this in, in kind of a disgusting fashion in Proverbs 26, 11. It says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Right? And we repeat this cycle over and over. Beloved, we have been freed. We have been freed Free to be the people God wants us to be. 
Paul's exhortation to the Galatians and to us is to stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know, I'm glad Paul, Paul says it this way. He says, do not be bound by a yoke of slavery. Do you know what a yoke is? Right? Not that yellow thing in the... Okay. It's a device, a device made of wood to link two things together. Right? And this, the, with the big loops, right, it links two animals around the neck. Right? Farmers yoke animals together to get them to pull together, to get them to work together. Right? Slavery is bad. Let's get that clear. Slavery is bad. Bondage is bad. But being yoked is not necessarily a bad thing. It all depends on what you're yoked to. See, the reality is, is that we're all yoked to something. You may be yoked to your possessions. You may be yoked to your job. You may be yoked to your fears and your emotions. Here, the Galatians are yoked to the law and to circumcision. This is the yoke of slavery Paul is talking about. In our freedom, beloved, we are to be yoked to Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Take my yoke, same word, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right, this is an offer of grace and mercy. We are invited to partner with Jesus and to learn from him. Just as two oxen, right, are yoked together, and the more experienced ox takes the lead and trains and helps the, the younger ox, Jesus leads and disciples us. Right? And we learn to be the people he wants us to be. To be yoked to Christ is not slavery. It's not slavery. It's not bondage. It's not oppression. Jesus finishes his statement here again in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 by saying, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We are called to be free. But freedom is not entitlement. It is not license to do whatever we want. Later in this chapter, Paul says in, in um, Galatians 5.13, says, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Right? It's like, I think of it like when our kids head off to college. Okay, I've only had one kid head off to college. Right? But I know a lot of you have. Right? When our kids head off to college, they grow in their independence and freedom, hopefully. Right? And we as parents are not watching over them the same way we did when they were in high school, when they were in elementary school, right? especially if they go away to college and they're out of the house. But in their independence, there are still boundaries. Right? There are still responsibilities. We still expect them to go to class. Right, Colson? We expect them to 
We expect them to study, right? We expect them to study. We expect them to act responsibly. We expect them to call their mom sometimes. I mean, there are expectations and there are boundaries. Freedom is not entitlement, right? It doesn't mean you can do just whatever you feel like doing. And at the same time, right, devotion, dedication, being yoked to Christ, being yoked to a good, loving God is not slavery. And it's not legalism. See, the world, the world has it confused a lot. Right? And they look at Christianity and they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to be like strapped down by that. Not understanding, right, what it's all about. Freedom is not entitlement. And being yoked to a good and loving God is not slavery. You know, I'd like to kind of just conclude um, the message with a story of freedom. And I love this story. It's the story of Patrick. You're like, what? St. Patrick, right? That was yesterday's news. Right? Nine days ago, March 17th, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. And maybe you don't know St. Patrick much about him. Right? Maybe you didn't celebrate it. I don't know very many people actually that celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Right? It's such an odd holiday. You don't get off school. You don't get off work. <laughs> like, what kind of holiday is this? Right? Most people don't know what to do about it other than to wear green, pinch each other, right? and eat corned beef and cabbage. Right? And that's what we do. St. <laughs> Patrick is known right, as the patron saint of Ireland, even though he wasn't even Irish. Right? Patrick, oh, sounds like a real Irish name. He wasn't Irish. Patrick was the son of a Roman nobleman a Roman deacon who grew up in Britain in the fourth century. And as a boy, though he was the son of a church deacon and a church leader, he showed very little interest in God. However, at the age of 16, Irish raiders plundered his village in Britain, killing many people and taking hostage many people. Patrick was taken from his home at the age of 16, and he was beaten and he was sold as a slave in Ireland, forced to tend sheep and pigs. In captivity, this is where Patrick, he grew closer to the Lord. As he tended the sheep and pigs, he prayed. Right, he prayed, he looked to the Lord. And after six years of slavery, God gave him a vision. God told him that he would be going home and that his ship was ready. Right, that's the words God used. And by faith, Patrick escaped. He escaped his captors. God freed him, and he walked 200 miles to the Irish coast. He walked to the coast because he knew God had said, a ship will take you home. And remarkably, right, remarkably, he found the ship that God had told him about. Back at home in Britain, Patrick spent a number of years studying Christianity and growing in his faith until the Lord gave him another vision. This vision was of the people of Ireland saying, come back. 
imploring him to come back to their country. Right? What a crazy thought. To go back to the place, right, that he had been taken captive and forced to live as a slave. But in obedience to God and to the dismay of many of his family and friends, Patrick, he returned to Ireland, not as a slave, but as a missionary. In the years that ensued, despite resistance and opposition, God gave Patrick favor. God bestowed favor upon him. And he gave him a platform. And Patrick was able to preach to Irish kings. He was able to share the gospel with country leaders. And he baptized many people. He became a defender and a spiritual shepherd of the Irish people. Right? And that's why he's a patron saint of Ireland. And he helped spread Christianity across the entire nation. Right? Not only that, but Patrick established monasteries. He established churches. He established schools, helping bring literacy to Ireland. An amazing man, an amazing story. Patrick sparked the Celtic movement, a missionary movement, which then took the gospel to other parts of Europe and Scandinavia. I love this story. I love this story because it's one of slavery and freedom. Patrick was so shaped by Christ that he loved and forgave the people that had taken him taken him into captivity that had abducted him and enslaved him. In many ways, Patrick's life was tragic, but he yoked himself to Christ. And God freed him and worked in his life as he can ours. I believe God can work in our lives in the same manner. Our story may not be as dramatic, but God is at work yoking yourself to him and moving and forming and shaping you into the person he wants you to be. This is a prayer of St. Patrick. It says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. St. Patrick was an amazing man, but more than that, his story speaks to what an amazing God we have. A God that has command and control over these things. A God that has brought freedom to us and wants to bring freedom to our individual lives and to us as a church. Beloved, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You are his. Stand firm, be yoked to him, and as Paul says, do not return to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Lord, we want to offer ourselves to you. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to show us and reveal to us what it means to be free in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would minister to us. We have um, deep pains and deep needs, some of us, Lord, and we have difficulty with this. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to take the first step, the first step toward freedom in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your sacrifice and your mercy to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.